Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. Now, presumably, you are listening to this episode right before bed. But are you listening with the best headphones designed for sleep? I present to you Bedphones by Dubs Labs, the headphones designed to block snoring and to be the thinnest, most comfortable headphones for sleeping ever made. Most small headphones are regular earbuds, which can be incredibly uncomfortable for side sleepers, which is the case for me personally, and results in headphones being lodged into your ear canal, falling off, or creating a tangled mess, which is seemingly what I am able to do every time. So huge tangled mess. But Bedphone's unique design offers a much larger surface area than normal brands. And this large surface area, combined with their incredibly thin speakers, allows them to lie flat against your ears while exerting minimal force. Bedphones stay on your ears using unique memory wire ear hooks that can be bent around the ears for a perfect fit. And because you can bend the memory wire ear hooks as tight as need be, bedphones won't easily fall off your ears or create an annoying tangle in the middle of the night. Here's the exclusive offer to you as a listener of Sleep and Relax ASMR. Visit bedphones.com and use promo code ASMR for 15% off your bedphones order. Bedphones.com, code ASMR. Bedphones.com, code ASMR for 15% off your order. Go ahead and fall asleep to your favorite music, audiobook, podcast, hopefully Sleep and Relax ASMR, with Bedphones patented, on-ear, incredibly thin, infinitely adjustable sleep headphones. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. This episode, we are reading some Irish fairy tales by James Stevens, uh, which seems to be a collection of short stories or fairy tales um, curated by James Stevens. This was originally published in 1920, and James Stevens was an Irish novelist and poet who lived from 1882 until December 26, 1950. The first Irish fairy tale, I'm not sure how long they are, depending obviously on how long they are, we'll do you know maybe one, maybe two, maybe three. But the first one is The Story of Twan Mac Carroll. Chapter 1. Finian, the abbot of Moville, went southwards and eastwards in great haste. News had come to him in Donegal that there were yet people in his own province who believed in gods that he did not approve of, and the gods that we do not approve of are treated scurvily, even by saintly men. He was told of a powerful gentleman who observed neither saints' day nor Sunday. A powerful person, said Finian. All that was the reply. We shall try this person's power, said Finian. He is reputed to be a wise and hardy man, said his informant. We shall test his wisdom and his hardihood. He is, the gossip whispered, whispered, he is a magician. I will magician him, cried Finian angrily. Where does the man live? He was informed, and he proceeded to that direction without delay. In no great time he came to the stronghold of the gentleman who followed ancient ways, and he demanded admittance in order that he might preach and prove the new god and exercise a terrifying, exercise and terrify and banish even the memory of the old one, for to 
a god grown old time is ruthless as to a beggarman grown old. Sorry, the text is a little bit small. But the Ulster gentleman refused Finian admittance. He barricaded his house, he shuttered his windows, and in a gloom of indignation and protest, he continued the practices of ten thousand years and would not hearken to Finian calling to Finian calling him at the window, or to time knocking at his door. But of those adversaries, it was the first he redoubted. Finian loomed on him as a portent and a, ter and a terror, but he had no fear of time. Indeed, he was the foster brother of time, and so disdainful of the bitter god that he did not even disdain him. He leaped over the scythe, he dodged under it, and the sole occasion on which time laughs is when he chances Antoine, the son of Carol, the son of Murdach Redneck. Chapter 2 Now Finian could not abide that any person should resist both the gospel and himself, and he proceeded to force the stronghold by peaceful but powerful methods. He fasted on the gentleman, and he did so to such purpose that he was admitted to the house, for to a hospitable heart the idea that a stranger may expire on your doorstep from sheer famine cannot be tolerated. The gentleman, however, did not give in without a struggle. He thought that when Finian had grown sufficiently hungry, he would lift the siege and take himself off to some place where he might get food. But he did not know Finian. The great abbot sat down on a spot just beyond the door and composed himself to all that might follow from his action. He bent his gaze on the ground between his feet and entered to, into a meditation from which he would only be released by admission or by death. The first day passed quietly. Often the gentleman would send a servitor to spy if that deserter of the gods was still before his door, and each time the servant replied that he was still there. He will be gone in the morning, said the hopeful master. On the morrow... Oh, sorry. On the morrow, the state of siege continued. And through that day, the servants were sent many times to observe through spy holes. Go, he would say, and find out if the worshipper of new gods had taken him away, had taken himself away. But the servants returned each time with the same information. The new druid is still there, they said. All through the day, no one could leave the stronghold and the enforced seclusion wrought on the minds of the servants, while the cessation of all work banded them together in small groups that whispered and discussed and disputed. Then these groups were dispersed to peep through a spy hole at the patient, immobile figure, seated beyond the door, wrapped in a meditation that was timeless and unconcerned. They took fright at the spectacle, and once or twice a woman screamed hysterically and was bundled away with a companion's hand clapped on her mouth so that the ear of the master should not be affronted. He has had his own troubles, they said. It is a combat of the gods that is taking place. So much for the women, but the men also were uneasy. They prowled up and down, tramping from the spy hole to the kitchen, and from the kitchen to the turreted roof, and from the roof they would look down on the motionless figure below and speculate on many things, including the staunchness of man, the qualities of their master, and even the possibility that the new gods might be as powerful as the old. From these peepings and discussions, they would return uh, lingided and discouraged. If, 
said one airboat guard. If we buzzed a spear at the person's stranger, or if one slug slung at him with a jagged pebble, what, his master demanded wrathfully, is a spear to be thrown at an unarmed stranger? And from this house? And he soundly cuffed that indelicate servant. Be at peace, all of you, he said, for hunger has a whip, and he will drive the stranger away in the night. The household retired to wretched beds, but for the master of the house there was no sleep. He marched his halls all night, going off into the spy hole to see if a shadow was still sitting in the shade, and pacing thence, tormented, preoccupied, refusing even the nose of his favorite dogs as it pressed lovingly into his closed palm. On the morrow he gave in. The great door was swung wide, and two of his servants carried Finian into the house, for the saint could no longer walk or stand upright by reason of the hunger and exposure to which he had submitted. But his frame was tough as the unconquerable spirit that dwelt within it, and in no long time he was ready for whatever might come of dispute. Being quite re-established, he undertook the, con the conversion of the master to of the house, and the siege he laid against a notable intelligence was long spoken of amongst of, am of among those who are interested in such things. He had beaten the disease of Mugain. He had beaten his own pupil, the great Colm Seal. He beat Tuan also, and just as the latter's door had opened to the persistent stranger, so his heart opened, and Phidium marched there to do the will of God and his own will. Chapter 3 One day they were talking together about the majesty of God and his love, for although Tuan had now received much instruction on this subject, he yet needed more, and he laid as close a siege on Phidium as Phidium had before that laid on him. But man works outwardly and inwardly, after rest, he has energy. After energy, he needs repose. So when he, so when we have instructions, so when we have given instructions for a time, we need instruction and must receive it, or the spirit faints and wisdom herself grows bitter. Therefore, Finian said, "Tell me now about yourself, dear heart." But Tuan was avid of information about the true God. No, no, he said. The past has nothing more of interest for me and I do not wish anything to come between my soul and its instruction. Continue to teach me, dear friend and saintly father. I will do that, Finian replied. But I must first me meditate deeply on you, and must know you well. Tell me your past, my beloved, for a man is his past, and it is to be known by it. But Tuan pleaded, Let the past be content with itself, for man needs forgetfulness as well as memory. My son said Finian. All that has ever been done has been done for the glory of God, and to confess our good and evil deeds is part of instruction, for the soul must recall its acts and abide by them, or renounce them by confession and penitence. Penitence. Tell me your genealogy first, and by what descent you occupy these lands and stronghold, and then I will examine your acts and your conscience. Tuan replied obediently, I am known as Tuan, son of Carol, son of Muradak Redneck, and these are the hereditary lands of my father. The saint nodded. I am not as well acquainted with Ulster genealogies as I should be, yet I know something of them. I am by blood a Leinsterman, he continued. Mine is a long pedigree, Tuan murmured. Finian received the information with respect and interest. I also, he said, have an honorable record. His host continued, I am indeed Tuan, the son of Starn, the son of Sarah, 
who was brother to Partholon. But, said Finian in bewilderment, there's an error here. You have recited two different genealogies. Different genealogies indeed, replied Tuan thoughtfully. But they are my genealogies. I do not understand this, Finian declared roundly. I am now known as Tuan Mac Harrell, the other replied. But in the days of old, I was known as Tuan Mac Starn, Mac Sarah. The brother of Partholon, the saint gasped. This is my pedigree, Tuan said. But, Finian objected in bewilderment, Partholon came to Ireland not long after the flood. I came with him, Tuan said mildly. The saint pushed his chair back hastily and sat staring at his host. And as he stared, the blood grew chill in his veins and his hair crept along his scalp and stood on end. Chapter 4 but Finian was not one who remained long in bewilderment. He thought on the might of God, and he became that might and was tranquil. He was one who loved God in Ireland, and to the person who construct him in these great themes he gave all the interest of his mind and the sympathy of his heart. It is a wonder you tell me, my beloved, he said, and now you must tell me more. What must I tell? asked Juan resignedly. Tell me of the beginning of time in Ireland and of the bearing of Partholon, the son of Noah's son. I have almost forgotten him, said Tuan. A greatly bearded, greatly shouldered man he was, a man of sweet deeds and sweet ways. Continue, my love, said Finian. He came to Ireland in a ship. Twenty-four men and twenty-four women came with him. But before that time, no man had come to Ireland, and in the western parts of the world no human being lived or moved. As we drew on Ireland from the sea, the country seemed like an unending forest, far as the eye could reach, and in whatever direction there were trees, and from these there came the unceasing, the unceasing singing of birds. Over all that land the sun shone warm and beautiful, so that to our sea-weary eyes, our wind-tormented ears, it seemed as if we were driving on paradise. We landed, and when we heard the rumble of water going gloomily through the darkness of the forest, uh, following the water, we came to a glade where the sun shone and where the earth was warmed, and where Partholon rested with his twenty-four couples and made a city and livelihood. There were fish in the rivers of Ire, there were animals in her coverts, wild and shy and monstrous creatures ranged in her plains and forests, creatures that one could see through and walk through. Long we lived in ease, and we saw new animals grow, the bear, the wolf, the badger, the deer, and the boar. Partholon's people increased until from twenty-four couples there came five thousand people who lived in amity and contentment, although they had no wits. They had no wits, Fimian commented. They had no need of wits, Tuan said. I have heard that the firstborn were mindless, said Finian. Continue, my st continue story, my beloved. Then, sudden as a rising wind, between one night and a morning, there came a sickness that bloated the stomach and purpled the skin, and on the seventh day of all the race of Partholon were dead, save one man only. There always escapes one man, said Finian thoughtfully. And I am that man, his companion affirmed. Tuan shaded his brow with his hand, and he remembered backwards 
through incredible ages to the beginning of the world and the first days of ire. And Finian, with his blood again running chill and his scalp crawling uneasily, stared backwards with him. Chapter 5 Tell on, my love, Finian murmured. I was alone, said Tuan. I was so alone that my own shadow frightened me. I was so alone that the sound of a bird in flight or the creaking of a dew-drenched bow whipped me to cover as a rabbit is scared to his burrow. The creatures of the forest sent to me, and I knew I was alone. They stole a silken pad behind my back and snarled when I faced them. The long gray wolves with hanging tongues and staring eyes chased me to my cleft rock. There was no creature so weak, but it might hunt me. There was no creature so timid, but it might outface me. And so I lived for two tens of years and two years until I knew all that a beast surmises and had forgotten all that a man had known. I could pad as gently as any. I could run as tirelessly. I could be invisible and patient as a wild cat crouching among leaves. I could smell danger in my sleep and leap at it with wakeful claws. I could bark and growl and clash with my teeth and tear with them. Tell on, my beloved Symphonian. You shall rest in God, dear heart. At the end of that time, said Tuan, Nemed, the son of Agnamon, came to Ireland with a fleet of thirty-four barks, and each bark there were thirty couples of people. I have heard it, said Finian. My heart leaped for joy when I saw the great fleet rounding the land, and I followed them along scarped cliffs, leaping from rock to rock like a wild goat, while the ships tacked and swung seeking a harbor. There I stooped to drink at a pool, and I saw myself in the chill water. I saw that I was hairy and toughy and bristled as a savage boar, that I was lean as a striped bush, that I was grayer than a badger, withered and wrinkled like an empty sack, naked as a fish, wretched as a starving crow in winter, and on my fingers and toes there were great curving claws so that I looked like nothing that was known, like nothing that was animal or divine. And I sat by the pool weeping my loneliness and wildness and my stern old age, and I could not more than cry and lament between the earth and the sky, while the beasts that tracked me listened from behind the trees or crouched among bushes to stare at me from their drowsy covert. A storm arose, and when I looked again from my tall cliff, I saw that great fleet rolling as in a giant's hand. At times they were pitched against the sky and staggered aloft, spinning gustily uh, like wind-blown leaves. Then they were hurled from these dizzy tops to the flat, moaning gulf, to the glassy, inky horror that swirled and whirled between ten waves. At times a wave leaped, howling under a ship, and with a buffet dashed it into air, and chased it upwards with thunder stroke on stroke, and followed again, close as a chasing wolf, trying with hammer on hammering to beat in the wide, wombed bottom and suck out the frightened leaves through the one black gape. A wave fell on a ship and sunk it down with a thrust, stern as though a whole sky had tumbled at it, and the bark did not cease to go down until it crashed and sank in the sand at the bottom of the sea. The night came, and with it a thousand darkness. Darknesses fell from the screeching sky. Not a round-eyed creature of the night might piece, pierce an inch of the multiplied gloom. Not a creature dare creep or stand. For a great wind strode with world lashing its lean, 
its league-long whips and cracks of thunder, and singing itself now in a worldwide yell, now in an ear-dizzying hum and buzz, or with a long snarl and whine, it hovered over the world, searching for life to destroy. And at times, from the moaning and yelping blackness of the sea, there came a sound, thin-drawn as for millions of miles away, distinct as though uttered in the ear like a whisper or confidence, a whisper of confidence, and I knew that our drowning man was calling on his god as he thrashed and was battered into silence, and that a blue-lipped woman was calling on her man as her hair whipped round her brows and her world, and she whirled about like a top. Around me the trees, <clears throat> around me the trees, they were dragged from earth with dying groans. They leaped into the air and flew like birds. Great waves whizzed from the sea, spinning across the cliffs and hurtling to the earth in monstrous clots of foam. The very rocks came trundling and sighting and sidling and grinding among the trees, and in that rage and in the horror of blackness I fell asleep, or I was beaten into slumber. Chapter 6 There I dreamed, and I saw myself changing into a stag in dream, and in felt, in dream, and beating of a new heart within me, and in dream... I arched my back and braced my powerful limbs. I awoke from the dream, and I was that which I had dreamed. I stood a while stamping upon a rock, with my bristling head swung high, breathing through wide nostrils all the savor of the world, for I had come marvelously from decrepitude to strength. I had writhed from the bonds of age, and I was young again. I smelled the turf, and knew for the first time how sweet that smelled. And like lightning, my moving nose sniffled, sniffed all things to my heart and separated them into knowledge. Long I stood there, ringing my iron hoof on stone and learning all things through my nose. Each breeze that came from the right hand or the left brought me a tail. A wing carried me the tang of wolf, and against that smell I stared and stamped, and on a wind there came the scent of my own kind, and at that I belled. Oh, loud and clear and sweet was the voice of the great stag, with that ease, my lovely note went liftly, lit, lit, lilting. I'm not sure what that means. With what joy I heard the answering call, with what delight I bounded, 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 light as a bird's plume, powerful as a storm, untiring as a sea. Here now was ease in ten-yard springings, with a swinging head, with the rise and fall of a swallow, with the curve and flow and urge of an otter of the sea. What a tingle dwelt about my heart. What a thrill spun to the lofty points of my antlers. How the world was new. How the sun was new. How the wind caressed me. With unswerving forehead and steady eye, I met all that came. The old lone wolf leaped sideways, snarling and slunk away. The lumbering bear swung his head of hesitations and thought again. He trotted his small red eye away with him to a nearby break. The stages of my race fled from my rocky forehead or were pushed back and back until their legs broke under them and I trampled them to death. I was the beloved, the well-known, the leader of the herds of Ireland. And at times I came back from my boundings about Eyre, for the strings of my heart were drawn to Ulster. And standing away, my wide nose took the air. While I knew with joy, with terror, that men were blown at the wind, blown on the wind. 
A proud head hung to the turf then, and the tears of memory rolled from a large bright eye. At times I drew near, delicately, standing among thick leaves or crouched in long-grown grasses, and I stared and mourned as I looked on them, on men. For Nemed and four couples had been saved from the fierce storm, and I saw them increasing, increase and multiply until four thousand couples lived and laughed and were riotous in the sun. For the people of Nemed had small minds but great activity. They were savage fighters and hunters. But one time I came, drawn by the intolerance, by the intolerable anguish of memory, and all of these people were gone. The place that knew them was silent. In the land they had moved. There was nothing of them but their bones and glinted, that glinted in the sun. Old age came on me there. Among these bones, weariness crept into my limbs. My head grew heavy, my eyes dim. My knees jerked and trembled. And there the wolves dared chase me. I went again to the cave that had been my home when I was an old man. One day I stole from the cave to snatch a mouthful of grass, for I was closely besieged by wolves. They made the rush and I barely escaped from them. They sat beyond the cave, staring at me. I knew their tongue. I knew all that they said to each other, and all that they said to me. But there was yet a thud left in my forehead, a deadly trample in my hoof. They did not dare to come into my cave. Tomorrow, they said, we will tear out your throat and gnaw on your living, living haunch. Chapter 7 Then my soul rose to the height of doom, and I intended all that might happen to me and agreed to it. Tomorrow, I said, I will go out among ye, and I will die. And at that, the wolves howled joyfully, hungrily, and impatiently. I slept, and I saw myself changing into a boar in dream, and I felt in dream the beating of a new heart within me. And in dream, I stretched my powerful neck and braced my eager limbs. I awoke from my dream, and I was that which I had dreamed. The night wore away, the darkness lifted, the day came. And from without the cave, the wolves called to me, Come out, O skinny stag, come out and die. And I, with a joyful heart, thrust a black bristle through the hole of the cave. And when they saw that wriggling snout, those curving tusks, that red, fierce eye, the wolves fled yelping, tumbling over each other, frantic with terror, and I behind them, a wild cat for leaping, a giant for strength, a devil for ferocity, of madness and gladness, of lusty, unsparing life, a killer, a champion, a boar who could not be defied. I took the lordship of the boars of Ireland. When, wherever I looked among my tribes, I saw love and obedience. Whenever I appeared among the strangers, they fled away. And the wolves feared me then, and the great grim bear went bounding on heavy paws. I charged him at the head of my troop and rolled him over and over. But it is not easy to kill the bear, so deeply is his life packed under that stinking pelt. He picked himself up and ran, and was knocked down, and ran again blindly butting into trees and stones. Not a claw did the big bear flash, not a tooth did he show, and he ran whimpering like a baby, or as he stood with my nose rammed against his mouth, snarling up into his nostrils. I challenged all that moved, all creatures but one, for men had again come to Ireland. Simeon, the son of Stereoth, with his people, from whom the men of Domen and the Fir Bolg and the Galleon and are descended, these I did not chase, and when they chased me, I fled. Often I would go, drawn by memoried heart, to look at them. They moved among their fields, and I spoke to them my mind in bitterness. In bitterness, when the people of Partholon were gathered in my 
in council my voice was heard. It was sweet to all who heard it, and the words I spoke were wise. The eyes of women brightened and softened when they looked at me. They loved to hear him when he sang, who now wanders in the forest with a tusky herd. Chapter 8 Old age again overtook me. Weariness stole into my limbs, and anguish dozed into my mind. I went to my Ulster cave and dreamed my dream, and I changed into a hawk. I left the ground. The sweet air was my kingdom, and my bright eyes stared on a hundred miles. I swore, I swooped. I hung motionless as a living stone over the abyss. I lived in joy and slept in peace and had my fill of the sweetness of life. During that time, Beothach, the son of... Yarbanel, the prophet, came to Ireland with his people, and there was a gentle battle between his men and the children of Semyon. Long I hung over the combat, seeing every spear and hurtled, every stone that whizzed from a sling, every sword that flashed up and down, and the endless glittering of the shields. And at that end I saw that victory was with Yarbanel. And from his people the Tuatha and the Ande came although their origin is forgotten, and learn people, because their excellent wisdom and intelligence, say they came from heaven. These are the people of fairy. All these are gods. For long, long years I was a hawk. I knew every hill and stream, every field and glen of Ireland. I knew the shape of cliffs and coasts, and how all places looked under the sun or moon. And I was still a hawk when the sons of Mill drove the Twathe Day dam under the ground, and held Ireland against arms of, or wizardry. And this was coming, this was the coming of men and the beginning of genealogies. Then I grew old, and in my Ulster cave, uh, close to the sea, I dreamed my dream, and in it I became a salmon. The great tides of ocean rose over me in my dream, so that I drowned in the sea and did not die. For I woke in deep waters, and I was that which I dreamed. I had been a man, a, man, a stag, a boar, a bird, and now I was a fish. In all my changes, I, I had joy and fullness of life, but in the water joy lay deeper, life pulsed deeper. For on land or air, there is always something excessive and hindering as arms that swing at the sides of a man, and which the mind must remember. The stag has legs to be tucked away for sleep and untucked for movement, and the bird has wings that must be folded and packed and cared for. But the fish has but one piece from his nose to his tail. He is complete, single, and unencumbered. He turns in one turn and goes up and down and round in one sole movement. How I flew through the soft element, how I joyed in the country where there is no harshness, in the element which upholds and gives away, which caresses and lets go and will not let you fall. For man may stumble in a furrow, the stag tumble from a cliff, the hawk, wing-weary and beaten, with darkness round him and the storm behind, may dash his brains against his tree. But the home of the salmon is his delight, and the sea guards all her creatures. Chapter 9 I became the king of the salmon, and with my multitudes I ranged on the tides of the world. Green and purple distances were under me, green and gold the sunlit regions above. In these latitudes I moved through a world of amber, myself amber and gold. In those others, in a sparkle of lucent blue, I curved, lit like a living jewel, 
and in these again, through dusks of ebony all maze with silver, I shot and shone the wonders of the sea. I saw the monsters of the uttermost ocean go heaving by, and the long lithe bruise that are toothed to their tails, and below where, where gloom dripped down on gloom, vast livid tangles that coiled and uncoiled and lapsed down steeps and hells of the sea where even the salmon could not go. I knew the sea. I knew the secret caves where ocean roars to ocean, the floods that are icy cold, from which the nose of a salmon leaps back as at a sting, and the warm streams in which we rocked and dozed and were carried forward without motion. I swam on the outermost rim of the great world, where nothing was but the sea and the sky and the salmon, where even the wind was silent and the water was clear as clean gray rock. And then far away in the sea I remembered Ulster, and there came to me in an instant uncontrollable anguish to be there. I turned, and through days and nights I swam tirelessly, jubilantly, with terror waking, waking, wakening in me too, and a whisper through my being that I must reach Ireland or die. I fought my way to Ulster from the sea. Oh, how the end of the journey was hard. A sickness was racking in every one of my bones, a languor and weariness creeping through my every fiber muscle. The waves held back and held me back, and soft waters seemed to have grown hard. And it was as though I were urging through a rock as I strained toward Ulster from the sea. So tired I was. I could have loosened my frame and been swept away. I could have slept and been drifted and waffled away, swinging on gray-green billows that had turned from the land and were heaving and mounting and surging to the far blue water. Only the unconquerable heart of the salmon could brave that end of toil. The sound of the rivers of Ireland racing down the sea came to me in the last numb effort. The love of Ireland bore me up. The gods of the rivers trod to me in the white curled breakers, so that I felt I left the sea at long, long, long last, and I lay in sweet water in the curve of a cranny rock, exhausted, three parts dead, triumphant. Chapter 10 Delight and strength came to me again, and now I explored all the inland ways, the great lakes of Ireland, and her swift brown rivers. What a joy to lie under an inch of water basking in the sun, or beneath a shady ledge to watch the small creatures that speed like lightning on the rippling top. I saw the dragonflies flash and dart and turn with a poise, with a speed that no other winged thing knows. I saw the hawk hover and stare and swoop. He fell like a falling stone, but he could not catch the king of salmon. I saw the cold-eyed cat stretching along a bow level with the water, eager to hook and lift the creatures of the river. And I saw men. They saw me also. They came to me and looked for me. They came to know me and looked for me. They lay in wait in the waterfalls, of which I leaped like a silver flash. They held out nets for me. They hid traps under the, le under the leaves. They made cords of the color of water, of the color of weeds. But this salmon had a nose that knew how a weed felt and how a string often drifted meat on a slightless string, but I knew of the hook. They thrust spears at me and threw lances, which they drew back again with a cord. Many a wound I got from men, many a sorrowful scar. Every beast pursued me in the waters and along the banks. The barking black-skinned otter came for me in lust and gust and swirl. The wild cat fished for me. The hawk and the steep-winged spear 
beaked birds dived down on me, and men crept on me with nets and width of a river so that I got no rest. My life became a ceaseless scurry and wound and escape, a burden and anguish of watchfulness, and then I was caught. Chapter 11 The fisherman of Carol, the king of Ulster, took me in his net. Ah, that was a happy man when he saw me. He shouted for joy when he saw the great salmon in his net. I was still in the water as he hauled delicately. I was still in the water as he pulled me to the bank. My nose touched the air and spun from it as from fire, and I dived with all my might against the bottom of the net, holding yet to the water, loving it, mad with terror that I must quit that loveliness. But the net held, and I came up. Be quiet, king of the river, said the fisherman. Give in to doom, he said. I was in air, and it was as though I were in fire. The air pressed on me like a fiery mountain. It beat on my scales and scorched them. It rushed down my throat and scalded me. It weighed on me and squeezed me, so that my eyes felt as though they might burst from my head. My head as though it would leap from my body, and my body as though it would swell and expand and fly in a thousand pieces. The light blinded me. The heat tormented me. The dry air made me shrivel and gasp. And as he lay on the grass, the great salmon whirled his desperate nose once more to the river and leaped, leaped, leaped under the mountain of air. He could leap upwards, but not forwards. And yet he leaped, for in each rise he could see the twinkling waves and rippling and curling water. Be at ease, O king, said the fisherman. Be at rest, my beloved. Let go to the stream. Let the oozy merge be forgotten. And the sandy bed where the shades dance all in green and gloom, and the brown flood sings along. And as he carried to me, as, as he carried me to the palace, he sang a song of the river, and a song of doom, and a song of praise in the king of the waters. When the king's wife saw me, she desired me. I was put over fire and roasted, and she ate me. And when time passed, she gave birth to me, and I was her son, and the son of the carol of the king. I remember warmth and darkness and movement and unseen sounds. All that happened, I remember from time to time. I was on the gridiron until the time I was born. I forget nothing of these things. And now, said Finian, you will be born again, for I shall baptize you into the family of the living God. So far the story of Tuan, the son of Carol. No man knows if he died in those distant ages when Finian was abbot of Mobile, or if he still keeps his fort in Ulster, watching all things and remembering them for the glory of God and the honor of Ireland. Whew. A little bit longer than I anticipated. Quite interesting. Quite interesting. I enjoyed that quite a bit. So that was the uh, first fairy tale um, obviously this episode has gone uh, longer than most, so I will call it quits here. If you guys want to hear more of these Irish fairy tales, just uh, let me know. Um, you can always get in touch with the show at hello and sleep and relax ASMR.com. Comments, suggestions can be sent there. Critiques. Let's offer this episode. Thanks as always for listening and take care. Fall asleep to your favorite music, audiobook, or podcast with Bedphone's patented, on-ear, incredibly thin, infinitely adjustable sleep headphones. Bedphones.com, code ASMR.
Thanks for listening.